Well, as you guys go ahead and come in and, and find your seats, we'll get started with our panel discussion here. Certainly want to, to thank you gentlemen for being here and, and serving us by proclaiming God's truth and helping us to try to think carefully about these issues. And in this panel discussion, want to have an opportunity maybe just to, to think about different nuances and aspects, especially uh, focusing on complementarianism and how it is carried out within the local church and its ministry. And we might, if we have time, touch on a few other issues towards the end. But I want to begin just by asking, how did you come to where you are today in your convictions about complementarianism? Is this something you, you've always had? Is this something that developed over time? Was it a conversation with a 900-foot Jesus? Where, where did you land where you are now? I'm going to start with you, Grant. I'll go first. I, I, I was a pastoral intern at a, at a church in Houston when I was a senior in high school, and I preached one Sunday night, and then the next Sunday night, the senior pastor asked a woman from Baylor to come and preach. And I was like, this is interesting. You know, why, why, is, why is this happening? I thought this was a very clear, uh, clear statement in, in Scripture in 1 Timothy, literally the passage I, I just outlined in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And at, at about that same time, we had to make a, a presentation in my high school English class on a controversial topic. And so I chose the topic in my high school public school English class of women preaching to men. And at that point, as a senior in high school, I started reading Wayne Grudem and, and John Piper and all these guys who were making arguments for complementarianism. I stood up in my high school English class and made an argument for complementarianism in 2002. Yeah. That's how it began. All right. Great. <laughs> Yeah, very good. Um, for, for me, uh, I would say that uh, around about, uh, it would be the late 90s, early 2000s, um, I was in an Anglican church in the UK for several years, an evangelical Anglican church, and I begin to see the slide and the, uh, and the drift and the appointment of, of women preachers and the decline of manhood, and I was... I'd been had a career where I saw probably the best of manhood and the worst of manhood at times in the in the uh, soccer dressing room. You know the, the the worst as you can imagine. You see it in your headlines in newspapers. But the best at times in terms of this kind of sacrificial uh, exertions for for the good of others. Of men gathered together, playing for a greater cause, where the risk is high and the reward is great. So I, I'd sort of had this. Uh, love of what is good about manhood. I think my father had modelled it, not a Christian, but had modelled it in a common grace sense in, in the home. So I had that. I saw the decline going on in the church. And then I was uh, I was going, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, I was going on a vacation and I wanted to uh, get a couple of podcasts to listen to on the plane. And I just downloaded a couple from this guy called John Piper. And uh, I hadn't really come across him before. And as I was listening, the two things struck me. The first was I'd never heard preaching like it. It was electric. And then second was the subject matter. He was preaching on biblical manhood um, and womanhood. Um, and it was from there that, you know, it, it ignited in my heart. And so then as things went on, I just really had this great desire 
to build men and, and women for the, for the body of Christ and particularly to get the men because if you get the men, you'll get the home, you'll get the church and, and the culture. So that's for me how things developed. I, I think I just always believed it once I grew up in it. I don't think there was any kind of pivotal moment. Um, I was I obviously uh, came to Christ in the ministry of this church and was under the teaching of this church. And so I was. it was simply a matter of um, shoring up my own convictions as I studied the Word, but no, no pivot point really for me. Yeah. Uh, Grant, you served for a time as the executive director of the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. You, you currently, Gavin, serve as the director of International Outreach, yes. Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I, I assume you care about Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. You never <laughs> got involved in that. Um, but why, why would you care enough to, to invest this amount of time onto this issue? Why, why is this issue such an important issue? I mean, for the, the two reasons I mentioned in, in the message I just gave is one, I think it comes down to God's honor and God's word. It's, it's, has God spoken? And if he has, will we honor his word? Will we, will we obey his word? And, you know, I, I, I scurried around the country with CBMW trying to, to raise funds for, for CBMW and, and raise funds for this mission. And, and, and not really, it, it was sad because not many people wanted to support that. And it, and it just, it, it left me with a sense that so many hearts had grown cold to this whole notion of the authority of God's word. Uh, it, it was, it was you know, and, and I understand people want to give to Samaritan's Purse and disaster relief and, and, and digging wells in Africa and all these things. And CBMW is addressing a, a minute issue regarding understanding of complementarianism and, and understanding of, of biblical marriages between a man and a woman and understanding biblical sexuality, that a, that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. I understand that that's a very uh, small piece of the pie, but it's an important piece of the pie. It's an incredibly important piece of the pie. And so it, it did, it, it was a sad thing to see the lack of, of, of support across across the the nation in terms of how many how many people I would go into fundraising groups and make a pitch and and no 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 Christians weren't really interested in that but but for me it is the issue that where, where the world is is caving in on the church it is that pivotal issue it's that wall that uh that that is up that that is being attacked I remember when, when we started working on the, the Nashville statement, which was the statement on sexuality and, and homosexuality and all those things, we had a call with, with John Piper and he said, I understand that you're, you're now working on, on, on tackling the, the issue of homosexuality and transgenderism. He said, that's good. He said, but never forget complementarianism is where it all begins. That's the, that's the dividing line right there. And you can't, you can't give up that ground and just say, oh, well, well, now our ground is that marriage is between a man and a woman. No, you have to begin with the distinctions between the, the husband and the wife and understand what those roles mean. So, so that's why it became passionate for me. And then also because I desire to see God work again in the church. 
I, I want to see God work. I want to see revival in the church. I want to see God's spirit work. And I believe that God's spirit works when we honor him. And so as long as our churches are out of sync with what God's word clearly says, we're quenching the Holy Spirit's ministry in our midst. We really are. We're quenching the Holy Spirit's ministry. We think that we're doing a good thing, that we're opening it up, but we're really quenching the Spirit. So I just have a, uh, have a heart to see God's Spirit move once again, and I think it begins with honoring Him in the simple things, the basic things, like complementarianism. For me, it was just a great privilege to be asked on board uh, when Dr. Owen Strand was the president and, and Grant was in, in his position. We, we've, we had a great relationship. Um, but yes, it is a matter, and I brought this out in my workshop yesterday, of the authority of the Word of God, and not only the authority of the Word of God, the sufficiency of the Word. Because many people say, oh yeah, God's Word is authoritative, God's Word is inerrant. Ah, but is it sufficient? Because the same people that are saying it's authoritative go outside the Word of God to define who they are and how they act. And so that, that's number one. And then the issues relate to marriage and to, and to parenting and, and to uh, order in the church, you know, leadership in the church. And then uh, the issues relate to homosexuality and to transgenderism. So then you see how the, the slide can happen. And the same hermeneutic that those uh, have used to then justify uh, women preachers that same hermeneutic has gone on to justify homosexuality and transgenderism. So as Grant says, if you do not have a robust complementarian understanding of the scriptures from Genesis 1 and 2, created male and female, binary fixed sexes in the image of, of God, and out of that quickly flows that command to be fruitful and multiply. So then we see this sexual complementarity and differences in roles that's then fleshed out in Genesis 2. If you don't have that robust foundation, you can shift very quickly uh, along uh, the line towards the LGBTQ agenda that is taking a grip now. And, and it has an effect of, in all of, uh, of culture. Is it, you, uh, Grant mentioned, you know, it's not the gospel, yet it, it relates because male and female, manhood and womanhood, has uh, relation to the gospel picture in, in marriage. So manhood and womanhood tied to massive theological realities. Through one man, sin came into the world through one man, righteousness, the man Christ Jesus. Start doubting that. Was Jesus man? Was, he, was it fluid? What, does it really matter? Uh, is Genesis just a myth? And, and so these things are crucially important, have real knock-on effects and reverberations into the culture. So to finish, it is a bite point where I think that the, the authority and sufficiency of the word of God is being challenged in our age. It's in, challenged in every age, but seeing where it's raising its head most vividly is key in uh, fighting the battle at the, at the key point. Um, our church actually has contributed to CB, uh, CBMW projects because I think it is uh, standing on the wall where we need to stand. Uh, I mentioned the fundamentalist modernist controversy, if I can draw an analogy. Uh, in the Presbyterians, they, they came up with the list of the supposed, you know, the five fundamentals. Uh, there was never any authoritative single list. But one of the things on their list of five was the virgin birth of Christ, which if you think about it, um, in terms of the amount of scriptural statements, only two of the Gospels, Obviously, Isaiah prophesies it, but it's, it's not a massive, biblically revealed truth. But what it was was a litmus test. 
if someone denied the virgin birth, it actually was a thread that was tied to understanding of the scriptures, understanding of the person of Christ, right? And so it was a test as to what a person's stance on theology was. And I think that's exactly what they're saying about complementarianism. If you, if you reject the authority of God on these issues, it is just the first surrender in a long chain of them. And it's fundamentally altered your stance on the scriptures themselves. So to me, it is a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a post on the wall defending the faith that I think is worthy of, of our guard. And, and, uh, and I don't think we should, I, I, I don't, I really don't think you can overstate the significance of it. We certainly are in guilt, uh, guilty of understating it in our day. Can I just add, um, and because you're talking about man and woman in the image of God, it's what it is to be human. Uh, you're going to have all sorts of effects. Well, look at the culture. You know, you knock out Genesis 1 and 2, and you've got chaos everywhere. Well, look at the culture now. And I would say in the church, our visceral response to these things is, is not, it's not the same. We've become inured to it, desensitized to it. So our visceral response to homosexuality is, oh, it's bad, but we don't kind of have that same response that, that God would have towards it, or transgenderism, um, because it's become normalized. They're beginning to change the language on things. You change the language, then you start to actually change laws, and, and even then Christians in the church don't have those same uh, biblical reflexes that they ought to have. And so this is why it's so important. And, and so now look at what we're dealing with. That we're dealing with a culture where parents are even... Um, affirming doctors and giving their children puberty blockers and and so on and uh, it it really is uh, at a stage now where we see the drifts so badly go one way that if we hold the line as I've said before in this in these sessions is actually becomes a great mission moment for us in the church. Yeah. Now, you brought up the modernism fundamentals and that's kind of been touched on a couple different times. I, I'm blanking now. Machen's book is Christianity and Liberalism. Is that right? And, and the point there is he's, he's saying they're really two different religions. Would we say the same thing about Christianity and egalitarianism or Christianity and the, the gender revolution where, where, where we've gone outside the bounds of Orthodox Christianity? Simple question. You started it. <laughs> that, that uh, I, I would... I would say the toes are pointed that way, right? Because it's, it's a, um, you know, if I can draw another analogy, right, between a geocentric view of, of the solar system or a heliocentric, right, whatever's at the center is going to affect the entire orientation of how you, how you put together the puzzle, and, and that side of the equation has man at the center and God's word being bent to the sensitivities of man. And you are now enculturating the scriptures in an ancient culture in a way that is going to uh, shred it, right? Because what's the, what's the uh, uniform principle if you've made the word of God conditioned by human error in some way. I mean, you, 
where do you where do you stop? So I don't think everybody's on. I don't think everyone's taken it as far as they logically should. But that's definitely the route it's going, and the fruit of it will be a denial of of God's authority through the Word, and therefore then of the Word, and then then you just start to have everything starting to surrender at that point. I, I used the language yesterday of a continental divide, that this issue is a, a continental divide where the, the hermeneutics, like you just mentioned, Gavin, where, where you fall on, on the side of, of, of women not submitting to their husbands and women preaching all these things, are the same hermeneutics that you that you use to it's a trajectory hermeneutic to get to, to gay marriage and 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 the interchangeableness between between uh, the husband and the wife the man and the woman so you can have a man and a man and all those things so it's it's a trajectory where it it puts you in the in the place of a different Christianity now that being said have there been egalitarians that I think are Christians yes you look at somebody like a David Wells or, or somebody like that I've I have, I have no doubt about their faith, but let me let me give you an illustration that that I think that that shows this how this works so clearly. I was once having a conversation with my grandparents, and, and this was about the time in high school when I was doing the, the complementarian stuff, and I'd done that whole project and given that presentation, and and I was sitting down and having breakfast uh, one one morning with my grandparents, and I guess they'd heard about this, and they said, "Grant, do you think it's okay for?" for uh, a woman to serve as an elder in a church. And I just said, no, that, that's, you know, Paul clearly says in, in 1 Timothy 3 that, that the office of elder is to be held by a man. And my grandpa just looked at me, and my grandma's right there. He said, well, did you know that your grandma's an elder in our church? <laughs> <laughs> they were at uh, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Longview, Texas, and I had no idea that she'd, she'd been... Uh, voted as an as an elder and i mean what do you say to that it i mean Grandma, you're and, wrong. <laughs> and and they asked me well, you know grant what do you have to say and i said well i just think that you know it's not what i think it's what paul says paul says that that i do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man i don't i don't have anything to say other than what what paul has said now do i have any doubt that my grandparents uh were were christians no i don't I, they, they're they my grandma has gone to be with the Lord. She was a believer. But let me say this. Guess what ended up happening? My grandfather ended up leaving that church because that church went on to affirm gay marriage and the whole nine yards because that church went, kept going down that slope where it, where it started, you know, in the 90s there at the, the kitchen table and pushing back against me. Well, later on, he's not even in the church. He goes to the Baptist church now. And that's just, I, I think that's, the, that's the story of America. I think that's the story of, of so much of America is people thought that it wasn't a big deal in the, in the 90s. And, people, and, and now in evangelical, that was in the mainline denominations, and now in, in broader evangelicalism, it's not a big deal. That's, that's the flippant attitude. But we've seen where it's gone because every mainline denomination that 50, 60 years ago allowed women preachers and all these things, where are they now? They're all, all affirming. That's where it's going. You know, if I could, it may be, maybe it's quibbling too much, but Machen was Christianity and liberalism. It wasn't Christians and liberals. 
And I think, I think if we're talking about the system of egalitarianism, I think it's an unbiblical and therefore unchristian system. I'm not prepared to write off every person who has embraced portions of it as saying they're not a Christian, just like I'd say I'd make a distinction between Catholicism and Catholics because I, I don't know what work of regeneration may have happened and the cobwebs are there. But when I look at the system of Catholicism, it's opposed to the gospel, right? When I look at the system of egalitarian thinking, I think it is opposed to the authority of God's word. I get guys like Roger Nicole, I believe, was egalitarian, godly guy. But I just think these guys, they're wrong. I've got friends, and I, I don't doubt that Grant says that they're salvation, but I think they're, they're really wrong on these issues. And uh, it, it impugns the, the glory of God, creating man, male and female, in his image. It impugns the gospel where you have husband and wife, Christ and the church in those gender distinctive roles, impugns the, 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 the gospel uh, in the way that the, the church is, is set out with its uh, male shepherds. Um, and so I think these, these knock-on effects are, are, are so crucial. And the egalitarian impulse that beats through our culture today, beats through feminism, beats through the LGBTQ uh, agenda. And it is, it is neutralizing, it is flattening, uh, and it is really, really dangerous um, if you take it to those extremes. And they think we're wrong, and they don't hesitate to say it. And they're saying it nonstop. So I don't know why we should just try to play nice. I mean, I, I don't think we need to go, well, this is not that big a deal when they're effectively telling us that we are, um, you know, in sin for dehumanizing people or whatever in terms of the theme of the conference. I just, I don't, I don't think it's a kid glove kind of scenario. But if we embrace it because it's God's design, we will flourish. Yes. So we will flourish, we will grow, and we do it with joy. We're going to have joy and productivity and flourishing because we're embracing God's design. And it will be this joyful counterculture against the anti-wisdom that's being embraced in the world through much of the egalitarian thinking. And I, if I could just toss it in, I think like the messages, like the message last night, I think is the kind of message that strengthens your church and, and teaches the truth of God. And sometimes what we do is we spend all of our time to pre preaching these truths to people who aren't even there because we're preaching them against the other people, right? Instead of positively saying, hey, look at this is what God's given us to flourish and to benefit from, and this is the truth. And you know, like Grant tied it to, we want to see revival. We want to see the work of God. I think sometimes we can just get grumpy, and that doesn't help our cause either. Excuse me. So he I knows, get choked up about these things. He, he knows I can get grumpy. That's why. That's right. Flashbacks. Yes. Um, so, so you mentioned, you know, there's the danger of essentially preaching against things that aren't in your church. They're out there. There are many people who, who would say the real problem in our churches is not egalitarianism. No problem is toxic masculinity, the real problem is abuse. And we have churches filled with pastors who have abused their authority. They're allowing sexual abuse to happen in the home. And so you should talk about that more, or at least as much as 
you would talk about these other issues. How would you respond to, to that kind of accusation, that, that kind of, um, that, that argument? The antidote to sin is always God's truth. It's not to swing the pendulum and say, oh, well, male headship, that's the argument, leads to abuse. Therefore, male headship's bad. Therefore, we need to swing to where there's no headship. It's, it's egalitarian. And it's, it's co-equal. No, the, the, uh, it, it's just like the law and the gospel. You know, if you're emphasizing the, uh, the law in terms of your relationship with God, uh, the, uh, the, the swing isn't to go to antinomianism where you say, well, you can just live however you want without the law. The, the emphasis needs to come back to the truth, which is the gospel. And so the emphasis with all this notion of, of abuse and, and, and transgenderism is to go back to the basics and simply teach the truth. And that's why these things are important for, I think, teaching in the church is because one, a lot of a lot of people are being influenced by the world daily, constantly. And so to come and, and to reiterate, look, this is, this is who the husband is supposed to be. It's, it's not a domineering headship. It is a loving headship that serves the wife. It is, it is a submission that is not a doormat submission, but lovingly comes alongside her husband and respects him in the Lord. And to emphasize these points, it does lead to flourishing. So the, uh, the correction isn't not to emphasize the, the truth, it's to speak it and to proclaim it. And, and as Gavin has done last night, like we talked about, to lift it up and, and to talk about how it, it provides beauty and, and flourishing in the Christian life. Yeah, the problem isn't complementarianism, the problem is sin. Complementarity actually protects against sinful abuse. So while it's, it's right that we do address abuse and we do address abuse in the church or in the home, absolutely. Um, I've said uh, in my workshop yesterday, I can't remember if I said it in the talk last night, but abuse gets the headlines and rightly so, but passivity is the silent killer of manhood. And in the devil's schemes, he wants to drive men into a fear of actually exercising right authority in the home and in the church. So whilst we address these things, and we, we ought to, we ought not to then cow away from the right use of authority because it will protect against abuse in the home and in the church. Okay. Now, if we're kind of moving more to the ministry of the church. You, you had a great message in which you very clearly said, Scripture says women should not be teaching men in the church want to try to tease out maybe some implications of that. Some people would say then, so should I not read a, a Christian book by a woman? Would she be teaching me in that kind of a scenario? Is, is that wrong to, to have women writing Christian books that, that men might read? Is that a violation of scripture? The, the way that, you know, this is a wisdom issue, right? Because you're dealing with, with, with books that are, that are, uh, that are, being read and, 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 and discerning which authors to read and so on and so forth. But I think the principle that, that, uh, that Paul's laying out is the degree of formality of the teaching. Uh, teaching in a gathered worship service is very different from going on vacation, sitting on the dock on the lake, and reading a book. 
you're you're in an, an informal setting you're reading you can put the book down and and all those things it's kind of like that whole interaction that apollos had with aquila and priscilla they took him aside so you're thinking okay he's done teaching the word of god formally they're not they're not interrupting him while he's teaching and interjecting things they take him aside and then luke records they taught him the way of god more accurately so it, it it's an informal teaching. And so that's how I would look at books and things like that, uh, is the degree of formality. So when you're dealing with a book, you're, you're dealing with something less formal. But one of the things that I've also d- discerned is, is what is that woman practicing in terms of her own personal life? Is, has she demonstrated that that woman author that she is under the headship of her husband is she going around the country preaching and teaching men not under authority if in that female author's public life if she's clearly demonstrating that she's not under authority i'm not going to recommend to my people to read her book because it again it goes back to honoring the word of god and i don't want to put a stamp of approval on a a female author that is that is not underneath authority. But do I want our women and sometimes men to maybe read an Elizabeth Elliot book and, and get insight? Absolutely. That that's a great thing. And there's some there's there's some women that speak to those particular issues of parenting and, and and family life that are helpful for us to glean, but they're doing it underneath the headship of their husband and underneath the headship of their church and they're doing it the right way. So I want to commend those type of women and and, and uh in their ministries. I mean, the passage that Grant unpacked, you know, is about uh, teaching and exercising authority over men in that mixed gathering. I think that extends to um, Sunday schools and to uh, to parachurch, co- to conferences, and uh, I would say to to mixed groups um, as well. Um, but the book thing, it, so it's that's a direct speaking to. So direct speaking, this is indirect through, through a book. So, I mean, I learn from women all the time, you know. I think, you know, Christian women, godly Christian women have, have much, as it were, to, to teach men in terms of conversations, in terms of wisdom. I, I listen to my wife's wisdom uh, all the time as we, as we converse. Um, but, it, but it's not, it, she will speak to me in such a way that is not direct and, uh, and authoritative in that way. Uh, we'll do counselling together sometimes, and I will lead the counsel. And I, you know, as I've said, I'll talk to the man, talk to the woman. She might angle towards the woman if she did say anything uh, to the man. It might be in a sense of, um, "Oh, have you ever considered reading Psalm eight? It's been really helpful for me." So you see the difference there. I might say, "You got to read Psalm eight <laughs> and do it now." <laughs> <laughs> to him, but she'll do it in a less directive way. So there's a feminine touch to it, um, and, that, and that's in an informal uh, counselling session. So I think it's discerning the, the obviously the circumstance, but but the teaching of God's word in the mixed setting has to come with uh, in a demonstration of power, a demonstration of power obviously from God. Uh, but the, mat, the, the 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 called man is 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 chosen then to exercise that, and it comes with a masculine force. I just, I don't see books as being, I, mean, I read books by liberals, I read books by, it, it's not, it's not, it's a, a completely separate category than 
than what the scriptures is addressing. And I, I just think we just, I mean, personally, I'm just like, that, that's, that's not the issue. Yeah. But. Now, the, in our day, there's kind of emphasis generally on diversity. And people will say, when you come into a church, you want to be able to see on the platform in ministry people that look like you. And inevitably, it often comes up with women. So you want to have women reading public, you know, reading scripture in public. You want to see women praying. And you want to do that so that when people come in, they, they see themselves up there. Is that a, a good motivation? Is that a good desire to, to try to have women in public settings in the worship service? No. <laughs> Do you care to elaborate? Uh, I, I, I think the disposition of it is bad, right? I, I don't think that we should buy the kind of representation philosophy that it is, um, because I just I think it's adopting. Um, a frame of reference that we don't see in the scriptures. But the leadership of the worship of God's people um, is, is not done on that kind of a basis. Now, I mean, if a church... Uh, so, so I'm talking about the disposition, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not saying that it would be wrong to have some other kinds of things that are not prohibited by the scriptures, right? But I think, I think you start down a path which you will, um, you will not, I mean, it won't be productive because the people who are judging things that way are not going to be satisfied with you sort of just throwing them a bone. So, so it's going to be then, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Because as the standard for representation keeps shifting, because it's coming from outside of the church, we have to keep shifting toward it. Or at some point we go, no, we're not going to do that. And then it's like, well, why not? Your reason for doing it before, why, why have you changed that reason? Do you not care now? Right, so so the motivation is is to me the big issue. If you're doing this to make people feel included, to be represented, I just don't see any basis in the scriptures for that, for for establishing the leadership of God's people in worship on that kind of a premise. And I think it just puts you down, uh, puts starts you down a path you actually in convictions can't go. Uh, as far as they're going to want to go. And so you're going to end up frustrating people at some point, I think. I think the premise is wrong because it starts with me. Me and I want to see me up there and I want to see me represented up there rather than I want to see God's pattern represented up there. So it's a, it's a, it's a, man, it's a man-centered uh, impulse straight away. Humans, right? Yes. Sorry? Humans, like on not male, but human-centered. Right? Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. That's... I just want to make sure I understood. People kind. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so, so, then it, so that's where it's starting. What is God's pattern? Uh, and that is good. It's like I've heard uh, people say, well, shouldn't you have um, women come in on your elders' meetings to give a woman's perspective? 
And I say, no, we need God's perspective. That's what we need, God's perspective. And God has structured it so that qualified men would be the elders of the church. Now, should those shepherds be um, in touch with their people and know the sheep and be speaking to men and women in, in their particular church so that they know them well? Absolutely. Um, but husbands should be shepherding their wives and instructing, discipling their wives in the home. So the structure should be right all the way through. Uh, but they, again, you know, this is this kind of, oh, uh, well, we must include and we must have the woman's voice. No, we must have God's voice and then everything falls underneath that in the way things are structured. And then women will flourish as well as men. Now, I don't want to necessarily try to answer the question of whether or not deaconesses are permitted. You're welcome to, to share that thought. Um, there are people who are complementarian and would have deaconesses in their churches, or don't and are trying to move to have deaconesses in their churches. Is, is that perfectly fine? Is, should that be a warning sign? I, I've had people come to me before and say, hey, my church is, is wanting to do this. Should I be concerned? Uh, do any of you have deaconesses in your churches? I think there's some ambiguity with the issue of of deacon so it's not quite as clear as the issue of of elder now paul does say about the deacons in first timothy 3 that they are to be the husband of one wife um you know, and, and the question is, is how Unicos is being used. Likewise, is it the women or is it the wives? And uh, my, my understanding uh, of that is that it's specifically talking to the men and then in reference to the wives' support of the men in that various ministries. And those who, who would then defend uh, women filling the office of deacon, because let me just backtrack a little bit. The, the word uh, diakonos is just a, a, a generic word that means servant, a, a table waiter, somebody who serves. So you can use the word in a generic way, right? You can use the word just to, you can describe somebody. Well, somebody's a servant. They're a deacon. Christ is a deacon. He's a servant. And I think when Paul mentions Phoebe in Romans 16 you know, as a, as a, as a, deaconess, I think that he's saying that she's a servant. She's one who serves in the life of the church. I don't think he's saying that she has the formal office because when, when you look at those requirements in, in 1 Timothy 3, it seems that he's talking specifically that it is the husband of one wife. It's a man. And then when you look in, in um, Acts chapter 6, when really they're not called deacons, but I think that they're the prototype of what the deacon is to be when, when the Grecian widows weren't being served. And they, and they said, the apostles said, we must devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So let us select men to, to, to wait tables. They select seven men. Uh, and then they they fulfill this this act of service. I think that's that the verb is used of serving. They're not called, quote, deacons. So... But I think that's the prototype, and for that reason, uh, our church has sided on having male-only deacons. Now, that being said, uh, I'm not going to, to disfellowship somebody because 
they they have female deacons, but I would caution against a church just saying, well, we want to have female deacons to be more inclusive. You need to have a biblical argument for that. Even though I disagree with that biblical argument, I've heard that spirit there, but we want to have women deacons because we have male elders. We want to bring inclusion to, to the, to the women and give them a you know, place at the table. Well, that's, 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 that's not the rationale for doing anything. That's pragmatism. The rationale has to be Bible. And I, and if somebody is, can, you know, and I, and I know that there's faithful, faithful people who do that present an argument for, for female deacons from the Bible. I respect that. I just disagree with it. Yeah. I would just, I would echo the point is how do they get there? Right. If, if they've been convinced by the scriptures that First Timothy 3 is actually using it as deaconess, is the women, likewise the women should be, then, then they're grounding this on a conviction from the scriptures. If, if they're simply doing it because they want to, like Grant said, they want to sort of uh, expand you know, the leadership in that way, then I, I think that's, that's where the problem is. Um, I mean, Dr. McCune thought there were deaconesses, mm -hmm. right? So I was taught that in systematic theology. Um, so, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't compromising anything. He just, he just had become convinced of that. Mm -hmm. So I think you can, I think you can in good faith interpret the scriptures and come to a conclusion. The problem, uh, is motivation. And then also, Unfortunately, there are a number of Baptist churches where the deacons are effectively the elders. Right? And, and so then you would actually have a problem if you've created a, a mixed gender governing board of the church. Then, then I think that's a, that's a problem. Oh, go ahead. Do you have something to add? I just, you know, I just think it's uh, on the deacon, deaconess issue. I think there's room for disagreement uh, amongst good brothers and sisters on the elder thing i don't think there is there should be male elders now inevitably in discussions like this and i haven't helped because i had the questions we tend to focus on what women cannot do in the church so what should women be doing in the church how can we help our women understand the the, the god-given responsibilities they have to to serve within the body there's all the one anothering uh passages in the, in the scriptures um there's uh, Titus 2, uh, women's ministry, which is uh, clear. I mean, churches will vary in how they do that. They have a formal women's ministry. I don't necessarily think that that requires a formal women's ministry. I think it can be very informal, um, but it could, could be formal. But Titus 2, women's ministry, older teaching younger women. There's a structure there in Titus 2 with the older men, older women, and, and so on. I think that's vital. I think it's vital to, to have that. But that still is under the oversight, if there is an official ministry, uh, oversight of, of the elders, right? So, so some would have then, oh, only women can be teaching women about biblical womanhood because they're women and they know. Well, there's a specific role that, that older women have in teaching younger women, the way that God's designed that, you know, the way that they'll be able to come alongside. But the elders in the church are called to teach all the congregation, that includes women, about biblical womanhood about womanhood, and husbands are to be discipling their wives. But there is a particular nature of spiritual mothering in the church um, that, that is, is crucial for church life. So, so that would just be one thing that I would say 
uh, in addition to all of the many things that, that women should be doing in the church. I, I would say this, though. Um, I would say that I'm, I'm hearing more and more what I call um, apologetic complementarianism. That's not apologetics, but apolog I'm really sorry. So then people will get up there and they'll make 24 qualifications for male headship before actually putting forth male headship, as if, well, male headship's not really that good, you know, and, but I've got, I'm going to try and qualify. Or all the things that, that women can do, let's put it out there. I'm not saying you're trying to do this here, but all the many things women can do before we get to the prohibition here, because we really don't think the prohibition is that good a prohibition. It's not really good for women. So we've got to say all that they can do. No, it's just this, this one particular thing in this one particular office. And, and as Grant said, not all men are qualified to be elders in the church. Um, so I think we just have to be careful of that as well in our desire uh, to, to preach the scriptures well and properly and to, to, to deal with the particular proclivities of certain people in, in our day and age uh, that we don't have a, uh, oh, I'm sorry, attitude for the, the prohibitions and, and actually headship itself as well. I mean, I think Paul's so crystal clear when he says that simply I do not permit a woman to teach didaskane or exercise authority over a man. I mean, really, a woman can do anything in the church. She just can't teach men, and she can't exercise authority over men. And that leaves so much that, that's open for, for uh, women in service in the life of the church but uh, I think, for example, let's take the, the case of, of women teaching children. You know, our, our Sunday school classes, as I'm sure y'all's are, is largely staffed by women that are teaching children. That is a glorious task, but our world diminishes it because our world has diminished motherhood. Our world says uh, children are not valuable. Therefore, motherhood is not valuable in, in the life of the home. It, the, for a woman to have value, she needs to go get a, a job and, and, and have a career and work as a doctor or, or, or a, a businesswoman or something like that, and that needs to be her gratification. So you see how children are, are minimized in the, uh, in the home, and then you see how children are minimized in the church, that it's not a glorious opportunity for, for a woman to, to teach children in the life of the church. Well, it, it is. It's that that right there is one of your great in-reach evangelistic opportunities, because th those kids are born in we believe in original sin. They're not born Christians; they're they're born uh, as unbelievers. And so those uh, Sunday school teachers, and yes, we we have some men that teach Sunday school as well. But a lot a lot of those volunteers that that serve in that ministry are women, and it's a glorious opportunity. And and I love to see. Uh, our women specifically really do that with joy and love and uh, with a, uh, a degree of, of, of gravitas, that it's a serious thing to show up and prepare a lesson and, and to, to teach it to children. So Paul emphasizes that. Paul emphasizes the, the teaching of other women and myself as a young pastor. I need the help. And I've, told, I've gathered our older women together and I said, I need you. I can't be going into the homes and instructing women how to do this personally. I can't be doing that counseling. You need to be doing that counseling. You need to be doing this uh, this teaching. Not that I'm not teaching. I am addressing it. And all of this is underneath the, the authority and the leadership of the elders. 
but I need them to come alongside me and, and enforce the, the word of God. And, and when you have a church that gets this and understands this, they do it joyfully, not begrudgingly and not with a chip on their shoulder and not out of just a sense of duty, but it is a joy to serve the Lord. And God blesses this. This is the thing. This is what I've been trying to get at is that when you do things God's way, he blesses it. He blesses it, and he blesses those women in ways that they never, never thought that they could imagine. He blesses the church. He blesses the marriage, because when you do things God's way, 1 Samuel 2.30, he who honors me, I will honor. God honors it. Yeah, I, th- I think um, a part of what we need to do is take a good, long, countercultural bath in Matthew 20, right, that, that the issue isn't positions of authority it's actually service and what what's creeped into even american churches and christianity is it's still wanting to be over people that's the measure of value right i'm not important unless i have a position of authority and you're telling me i can't ever get to that position of authority so you're diminishing my value and Jesus turns that completely upside down, right? You want to be great and serve, right? It's not about who has the positions. It's about who's serving. And the positions are only for the benefit of the people they're serving, right? But, but we, still have, we still have deeply woven in us this, this uh, you know, climb the ladder determines your value, and I think we've I think we've just got to keep going to war against that. I mean, there's there is enormous opportunity for for every believer to be great in God's eyes because they can serve. And that's why in all of our teaching on complementarianism, we we need to have it all in the context of the gospel. Because it's discontentment in women's hearts that want, want them to, to rise up and, uh, and assume positions they ought not to. Discontentment in men's hearts as well. Unless we're content in Christ and all he is for us, and, and we have that, Christ is our central focus, our hearts will be lowered, brought low in, in humility and have that sense of then, you know, what therefore shall I do, Lord? Uh, and that's the key to it. Otherwise, we can we can tend to sometimes detach this teaching from the gospel itself. So we have to keep making those gospel connections and giving gospel motivation, which will keep us in a humble posture, which means then we will adopt that. We will bathe in Matthew 20. It's good. I should have said baptized. <laughs> so, so if you're, you were coming into a, a new church, and this church has never really received good teaching, on the issue of biblical manhood and womanhood. Maybe they're not antagonistic to it. They just never really been taught it well. Where would you start? What might you begin to do to try to help them to understand the the whole biblical focus and emphasis on this? Well, I think it it starts in the the pulpit. Uh, I think maybe you would... Uh, set to do maybe a series um, on the issues. Um, definitely say in, in, in our church, and that's an interesting question you pose. So we've had a lot of new people come over the last couple of years. So our demographics changed a little bit. And these folks have come from all different churches. So there's, there's a different kind of maturity level 
there. And they've not had the grounding that a lot of our older members have had. So what we're doing now is we're running some uh, sort of midweek stuff on basics on biblical manhood and womanhood, teaching it from Genesis and, and through, um, and showing folks the connection uh, between Genesis and, and the New Testament, how the New Testament writers all arc back to Genesis 1 and 2, whether that's Paul or, 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 or Jesus or, or Peter, uh, when they're referring to these issues. And so people showing the, the we often can have a good uh, theology of redemption, but we need to regain a good theology of, of creation. So we could do that in teaching some, some sort of foundational courses for folks. Um, but but the, pre, the, the, the key will come from, from the pulpit, obviously. And pastors that are t- teaching through books of the Bible will touch on it necessarily. So, But I think that there may be some value in doing a series on it where you're bringing it together, the key passages, just for a, a little period of time. You may disagree, but... No, I, I agree uh, completely that you have to teach and proclaim it. I think you probably would want to remember, right, what you have spent a lot of time studying and come to your convictions and you stand up for 45 to 60 minutes and expect people to immediately be right where you are. So you need to teach with long suffering and patience, right? You need to help people uh, wrestle through it and and work through the scriptures patiently with them. I think you should be working to build uh, the men in leadership, right? So, so you're discipling and teaching, um, so that you're not uh, you're 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 doing a both end, right? I think you're trying to strengthen um, folks in those convictions and and help shift the the leadership in that way as well as the public proclamation of sort of a right hand left hand kind of a deal i completely agree with what these brothers have have said just just anecdotally when i came to capital community church literally i'd been there a week and i found out that our ladies were going to be doing a beth moore study that fall with her being broadcast on the uh, the video screen, and you know you you come face to face with that. You know this is I think week one or two of being boots on the ground in ministry. So you ask yourself, okay, what do you do? And what I decided to do is I said, you know, I need to let the word of God do the work. I need to let the word of God do the work. And so I begin to pray and and, and give this to the Lord. I didn't stop the Bible study. I didn't stop the study because I knew that these women were untaught. They didn't know just her background and all these things. And over the course of that year, my, my father-in-law, I was, I was doing expositional preaching. I was preaching through John. I was, I, was, I was doing all the things that I'd been told to do. But my father-in-law has been a pastor for 30 years. And he told me the next summer after I'd been there a year, he said, Grant, I really think you should take your people through the book of 1 Timothy because Paul addresses these really essential issues regarding the life of the church, regarding elders, regarding women teaching men and, and, and deacons and, and widows in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and, and the role of a pastor in, in 4 and in 6 and so forth. So I, I really think that you should do that. And, and I, that was such sound wisdom for me. And so I stopped John. I put a pause on it. And in, in 2020, in the midst of COVID and all that stuff, I went through 1 Timothy, and God just used 
used the, the, the teaching of the Word of God to, to really mold the, the, the hearts. I did four messages in chapter two on, on the role and, and character qualities of a godly woman. I did four messages on that. And, and God just used, used the word. I'm not saying that everybody's exactly where I'm at now. Like, like you said, Pastor David, it takes time to get people there, but it's that long haul of letting the word of God do the work and then coming alongside and drilling the men. And uh, we, we've done that as well. We've started a group on Wednesday nights. I have 30-something men, and we just, I'm, I'm, I'm grilling them with theology and, and pastoral ministry and, and really training up the, the leaders to understand the truth and, and sound doctrine. So, but again, that's the word of God as well. It's letting the word do the work and not just coming in and, and tyrannically saying, this is how we're going to do it here. I want, pe- I want people to come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And then they'll be, they'll be, they'll be right where God wants them to be as the, as the chief shepherd. Thank you very much, man. We really appreciate you sharing your, your thoughts and helping us try to think through these things. So thank you very much for that.